I can be sometimes a little stubborn. And so when I learned that no woman had ever qualified for the Olympics, that's when I was like, you know, I have five to six months of winter a year. I'm Mexican. I don't know how many other people have this opportunity. And so I was like, you know, if no one's done it before and I have these blessings and opportunities ahead of me, then might as well try. You're listening to The Follow, a multicultural podcast from creative agency Sanders Wingo, where we help people get smarter about culture by talking to up-and-coming BIPOC creators, movement makers, and thought leaders who we follow. In this episode, we speak to Regina Martinez, a medical doctor and an athlete on the Mexican Nordic ski team. Originally from Mexico City, she's on a mission to be the first Mexican woman to represent her country in cross-country skiing at the Beijing 2022 Winter Olympic Games. In February 2021, she qualified for the FIS World Ski Championships in Germany and became the first Mexican woman in history to participate in a cross-country ski race at that level. In our conversation, she talks about the challenges that come with breaking into a winter sport when you're from a country like Mexico that doesn't get much snow. Hosting this conversation is yours truly, Jose Bencomo, producer at Sanders Wingo. Let's get started. Thanks again for joining us. You are on this incredible journey of life, sport, medicine, and culture. It's like the stuff of movies. Let's just jump in and tell us who you are. Who is Dr. Regina Martinez? Um, Yeah, so I am Mexican. And that's one of the biggest parts of my identity. I'm also lots of things. Uh, I'm a daughter. You know, I'm, I'm a sister. I'm a doctor now recently. And I'm a cross country skier. And I'm a very passionate person. I'm very ambitious as well. And I just really like having lots of stories to, to share. And I think that's one of the best parts of life. And that's kind of what drives me or one, one of my motivators. I'm a little crazy in the best sense of the word. <laughs> I would be also maybe creative, ambitious, very uh, like spontaneous, and also could be like passionate and intense would probably be some words that they would use. A little bit about your background. Uh, you told us that you're from Mexico. But I kind of want to get the ball rolling on how this journey actually started. They're kind of interconnected. So part of my journey into medicine kind of led me into my journey into skiing and like trying to be in the Olympics. So it all kind of started when I decided that I wanted to go into medicine. I wanted to serve people and I wanted to kind of have have a role or a purpose in this world. And I thought that was uh, that medicine was what I was drawn to. When you're little, you always grow up thinking and knowing like, oh, okay, well, when you're sick, you go to the doctor, you get better and that's it. And then unfortunately, I had my my aunt who actually passed away when she was really young. She was actually my godmother. And that kind of drew me into medicine because it, it was it was something that I hadn't really experienced. And it just kind of got me very curious. And then I did my pre-med journey. I ended up being able to get into both medical school and public health school. And so I actually decided to accept both acceptances and I deferred medical school to first pursue public health. And so I did my public health degree in New York City at Columbia. And then from there, after those two years, I went to Minnesota for med school. And it wasn't until medical school that 
that's when I kind of stumbled into cross-country skiing just by the nature of where where I went was Minnesota. And so I would see that even when it was like negative 16 degrees, people would be jogging outside. Uh, and I would just see this through my window. I was like, they're crazy. How, how could they even do this? And it was like multiple people. And so it just was like a part of the Minnesota culture. Let's see, this could be a blessing or a curse. So let's try to be positive. And just that's when immediately this random thought came to mind, which was, you know, how many Mexicans go to the Winter Olympics? And that's when I realized I like Googled and only four athletes have gone every like few cycles. And so I then actually learned that for cross-country skiing, no woman had ever gone. And so it kind of got me curious, but I was too busy in medical school at that time. And I just didn't really think too much about that idea, but it's something that always stayed in my mind. And it wasn't until third year in medical school where I decided to like look into it further and by that point, I had cross-country skied maybe like two or three times recreationally, but I didn't own any gear. Like it was a for fun activity once in a blue moon. And eventually I, I reached out to my coach, my now coach, who he's a previous Olympic skier for the 2018 uh, Peyong Chang Winter Olympics. And I, I sent him a message on Instagram and asked him like, hey, I'd love to speak with you. I want to learn more about cross-country skiing. I live in Minnesota. I'm Mexican, this, this, and that. And he really liked my energy. He said, you know, I, I think this is a great opportunity. I don't see why like, we shouldn't try. And uh, he, offered, he, he offered to coach me. I had done a lot of sports growing up. Like I was in competitive soccer. Like I was in first division soccer up until college almost. And then like midway and I started running afterwards because I wanted to do something to keep me active. So I did uh, marathons and just kind of random things to stay, stay active because I was always in team sports growing up. But no, yeah, so then I just picked up skiing. And to be honest, when I first started, it was, it was uh, exciting. It was a challenge, but I was surprised by how much fear I had from this like crazy goal because I've had a lot of crazy ideas, like all kinds of ideas. I've just been, I'm pretty creative. Like even when I was little, I was like, Ooh, what about if I had a bracelet business or, Oh, now I want to be an actress. And like, Ooh, you know, all these things that I always like a photographer, but this idea was actually different than the rest because it was the first time where I knew I, uh, at least like that the fear, or I, I knew that the chances of failing are significantly greater than the chances of succeeding. And I had never really been faced with something at that point in my life that I was like, you know, I will most likely fail just given like the logistics and nature of it. You know, I'm at that point I was like, I'm 26, I'm starting to ski. I want to be an Olympic skier. Most skiers have skied since they were three. And then eventually like I started taking it day by day and just training session by training session and until I did my first river race, which was one uh, maybe like yeah like a month and a half or a month after learning to ski was my first official race yes I can be very ambitious with my goals <laughs> um uh yes I because I think what drove me I really like kind of diving into the unknown and challenges and I like breaking stereotypes and breaking barriers and boundaries I can be sometimes a little stubborn. Uh, and so when I learned that no woman had ever qualified for the Olympics, that's when I was like, you know, I 
have five to six months of winter a year. I'm Mexican. I don't know how many other people have this opportunity. And so I was like, you know, if no one's done it before and I have these, you know, these blessings and opportunities ahead of me, then might as well try. And that's just kind of got me very, very motivated to just keep going and to see how far we could take it. And kind of since that point, I haven't really stopped. Good for you. That's awesome. Thank you. Bring us to the part now where you begin to qualify and you head out to the FIS World Ski Championships. For that, the competition is a little bit more lenient compared to the Olympics. You need less than 700 points, which I knew I could get an average of less than 700 points. So it was a little tough because there wasn't many races before the World Ski Championships and the pandemic had started already. And so that was a little bit challenging, but I was able to do this one good race in Salt Lake City, Utah. And if you only do one race, then you get penalty points added. So like 40% added to your average. And I still got less. I like barely got 700. I think I got like 699. So with that, I was able to go to the World Ski Championships. What was that like when they said, hey, you qualified, you're going? It was awesome. It was super exciting. You know, uh, also a little nerve wracking because we were in the middle of a pandemic. I wasn't sure if they were going to happen. I wasn't sure, you know, what to expect from such a big race. Like I was told the track and the course is going to be intense. It's going to be nothing like you've ever seen. And a lot of times it's like in my nature to think of like the worst case scenario or just to like imagine the worst and then I'm always prepared. I think that's why I'm, I'm, I, it, so I'm in emergency medicine right now. And I think that's why I, I'm in a good field for, for my personality. And it was also a very, just very different environment, seeing all these international skiers from all over the world. And that part was super exciting. It just like opened up my world and my vision of skiing because I was used to just having local racers and mostly Minnesotans. And so overall, that was an amazing experience. I got to meet friends from all over the world, especially from like other exotic ski nations uh, like Brazil, Colombia, Trinidad and Tobago like all these amazing in Tanzania, you know, places where you'd never think of having snow or, or like winter athletes. And so that kind of refueled my motivation to keep going, seeing all these people from all over the world and countries or locations that don't have snow. And so with that, I just was like, you know, if they can do it, I can do it too. And so whenever there was doubts, I would kind of lean on these friends and uh, kind of help that use that for support and like the rest of my journey into the Olympics. And so, but yeah, overall world ski championships was an amazing experience and it it was a big learning opportunity and it started to prepare me kind of for, for what's expected for, for the Olympics and for, for the rest of the journey towards that. So I was competing and training with the teams from Argentina and Chile and Eventually, on the last day to qualify for Beijing, I got my points down to less than 300 points. I got like 286 points. And so that I was eligible to start at Beijing. And then because it was the pandemic and because the, the situation in Beijing was controversial, some countries decided not to send any athletes. Some countries decided to give up some of their spots. So instead of sending eight athletes, they sent four. And so I was very, very hopeful that now that I was eligible to start, that somehow my spot would come down 
and trickle its way down to me. But because I, it was only me at the World Ski Championships, Mexico at the World Rankings only had one point because it's like oh. one athlete. Yeah. I think it's based on the number of athletes that go to these high level competitions and that's where, how the world ranking is determined. So I was, so Mexico women's was, the team was ranked last. And so I was like, well, it's not impossible, but it can happen. So every day for a full week, I checked like multiple times a day to see where the spots were at because countries, some countries rejected the spots that they were offered Mm -hmm. and it made it all down, all the way down to South Korea. And that's where, where the list was finalized and, and quota spots were stopped. So it was a very exciting, very nerve wracking time, but it was also a time of a lot of self-reflection because I was thinking to myself, like, you know, right now I'm stronger in skate skiing versus classic skiing. And the Beijing Olympics were in classic skiing and every other Olympics, the technique switches. So I qualified in skate, but the Olympics were in classic. The next Olympics, the qualification is going to be in classic, but the actual Olympics are going to be in skate skiing. And so part of me still a year and a half after the, my first race, classic skiing was still not my forte. I had kind of ignored it for a while. And just the idea of if I were to go to the Olympics and, you know, I, I had to represent my country with, a, with one of the, you know, with classic skiing, which is what I'm not as comfortable as. In the end, I, I was okay with just how things turned out. Because I was like, you know, if and when I go, I want to be able to like give my 110%, not only in effort, but also in skill. And so the next ones, like I, if and when I make it, like I want to be able to represent my country and make them proud. And so overall, it was like a very emotional time and exciting time with how everything turned out. But overall, it just motivated me to kind of keep going for the next ones, which are now in 2026 in Italy. So yeah, that's kind of part of my journey in a nutshell, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, and there's just so much there because at the same time, you are a doctor. If we can very quickly touch on like, how do you keep all of that in balance? I mean, to be at championship level, performance level for skiing and being Mexican, not having a lot of background in it, just having start, just started and already at this uh, peak level, but then balancing out your duties as a doctor, that's got to be like a lot of pressure, am I right? You're just going crazy and I bet you're not sleeping. <laughs> How does it work? <laughs> um, well, I actually, I tried to sleep as much as I could because that's the only way to like keep your mind sharp and your body recovering. But compared to probably the normal person yes I sleep a lot less compared to the average resident or doctor I probably sleep a little more maybe (laughs) (laughs) sometimes I would think to myself like man all these other athletes have like all the time in the world probably and they probably have all these sponsors and all this money like I have no money and no time compared to probably most of the other athletes that are trying to do the same thing and instead of thinking that way and you know having these probably just negative thoughts I would think okay no let's be positive I have one hour so I need to maximize this one hour and you know yes I'm exhausted but this is going to make me stronger uh, mentally and physically and so sometimes I would go and you say I would tell myself like you know even just making it to the gym even if it's in the parking lot like that's already 80% of the work 
even if I make it to the place where I roller ski, that's already 80% of the work. So a lot of times the hardest part of balancing training with work was getting to the next spot, the next destination. And once I made it, I thought I have a kind of the key to the success, I guess, and into not having that much pressure was to have no expectations. Say so like, you know what? Today, technically, like right now, I'm supposed to ski, roller ski for 75 minutes. Instead of thinking like, oh my gosh, 75 minutes, that's so much. Like I am so exhausted. I would say, yes, okay, whatever. I'm supposed to ski for 75 minutes. I'm going to try to do five minutes. And if I can ski for five minutes, then I can say that at least I did something good today. And sometimes actually I found that doing that, I ended up doing more than what my plan was for the day. So compared to my co-residents, I feel like having the skiing was good for, for both things. Like I feel like I somehow found this beautiful balance where I was able to do both and all the negative effects of one were like would dissolve with the other. Um, so instead of dwelling on like, oh man, I had a hard day and this, this, and that, I was like, no, it's time to go ski. So I would leave everything behind, get on my endorphins and uh, then finish my training and be like, okay, cool. That was, that was it. I guess it's time to go to sleep now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is awesome. You are certainly unstoppable <laughs> and tenacious. I love it. You're listening to The Follow. I'm Jose, today's host, with a quick request. If you love today's episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. It boosts the show's visibility so other people can find it and enjoy it too. Now, back to the interview. You know, I didn't really have many expectations, but I just knew I wanted to give it my all. And I ended up getting three silver medals in three different races which was very very rewarding the, the hard work that you know I had worked so hard for for the rest of the winter was like paying off and it also just kind of kept fueling me and into you know keeping at it and so that was in March of 2021 after the World Ski Championships and so then I moved from Minnesota to Miami and after that I kept going I said you know I think I need to still keep competing to stay sharp and so I went to Brazil to some roller ski races in Brazil I did okay but I didn't actually uh, place any medals the competition there was much stronger but it was really really cool because I compared to the world ski championships I before I was like two three minutes uh, behind some of these Brazilian athletes not that I had lost all hope by then, but I knew that it was going to be pretty, pretty tough to, to qualify for Beijing. The rules hadn't changed, but I, the only thing I could control was my points. But, you know, I, I said, I want to be with my team. I want to be with people that are going to support me. Not that the Argentina and the Chilean teams and the Lebanese teams didn't support me, but I just needed to be with my own team. And so I go to Iceland. And the atmosphere was so amazing there that I just raced with heart and I raced with passion. And at that point, I just, the idea of racing for points and for results just kind of melted away. And those were my, I think my best three races. And those were the races that actually qualified me or made me eligible for Beijing. And in those races, that's where I got one or two silver medals and one bronze or two bronze and one silver medal. 
And this was what I was really excited about because it was against the Nordic group of athletes. Not that not that the other athletes from all over the world are, are not as strong, but within skiing, you know, if you if you beat like the Norwegians, which I don't plan to beat the Norwegians soon, but maybe one day. But if you beat like the Nordic Scandinavians, like that's a big deal. And so for me, like that's something that had never crossed my mind that I would ever win against any like Scandinavians. <laughs> and so that was that was awesome, especially because I had like 16 members there to like cheer me on during the race. And so that was my latest wins was in Iceland and slowly but surely I'm excited for, you know, the, the upcoming ski season because you know, or I think we're going to get better and better each day and in each race and slowly and surely the imposter syndrome that I started with is like starting to be chipped away. And I guess since I mentioned imposter syndrome, it's very interesting because it's prevalent in medicine. And it's also, I think, present for a lot of athletes that are not of European or like US Canadian descent. A lot of athletes from other countries have this imposter syndrome of like, oh, you know, we don't belong here, but we're here anyways. <laughs> and so it's it's also been like a, a challenge in that way, a, a positive challenge to overcome that and to believe in yourself and to not necessarily let the fact of like where you were born or where you're from or where your resources, ones you have or the ones you, you do have affect kind of, you know, your your level of competition. Awesome. And you know, that's a great segue. So we do this podcast to help us all get smarter about culture and race, ethnicity, and identity that often plays a big role in shaping culture. How do you identify yourself? It's a very interesting question because I, well, I, in ethnicity, like I am 100% Mexican, even though I've lived all over the US and like other countries. In terms of like race, it's always difficult because some people consider Hispanic a race, others don't consider Hispanic a race. So, so I mean, I consider myself Mexican, I consider myself Hispanic, and I'm, yeah, I, <laughs> I think that's kind of how I identify. Awesome. Because I myself, I am Mexican-American, and growing up, it's like you kind of learn the labels of who you're, how you're supposed to identify yourself. and you know what? It's so confusing sometimes, right? Because it's like, are we going to identify as Hispanic or I'm not Latino, I'm Latinx, or I'm one of those hyphenated American kind of titles. And it always gets me thinking, is it bad that we can't find that identity or is it a good thing? Because at the end of the day, it's just a label and that's not really what we want because exactly. we're not a monolithic people. Exactly. And, and that's, and I, I do want to mention that actually before you even mentioned it, like I do in general, like I don't like labels because I think having labels inherently makes you put yourself into this box. And I feel like we're so much more than, than that box or that label that we um, are told or self-identify as. But yeah, no, I agree. I, I think in general, I mean, it would be nice to not have those labels I understand sometimes why, like for statistics or demographic things, why you need to do that. But, but yeah, in general, I, I'm, I'm not so much about labels. I'm with you. You know, it's, it'd be great to come to the point in uh, world history where it's like, that won't be so important. We'll just be mm -hmm. ourselves. So yeah. Something to work towards. 
you, I want to touch on this. You had mentioned the imposter syndrome that you felt competing. Yeah. So in general, there's not too many, there, there are a good amount of Hispanics in Minnesota, but in the ski community, there's not a lot of like Hispanics, Latinos, you know, and in, this is just in Minnesota and also in the global scale, I feel like the demographics within skiing are very homogenous. And so starting or, you know, starting to ski in this very tight knit community and small community where you're clearly different than the rest, it was very challenging, not only because, and it's not just necessarily about like where you're from or the color of your skin or the language that you speak, but it's also about like, culture because a lot of skiers grow up with snow and they grow up with skiing so they have skied since they were like three years old like they skied before they walked and so being like 26 and you know in Mexican and trying to like feel like you're infiltrating into this group is a little uncomfortable and it can be a little intimidating and because culturally everyone in, or most people in the ski community, because they started younger and because they've grown up with it, they don't really understand. I don't think that they understand like what it means to be a newer skier. And sometimes if you have questions or if you, they see you stumbling, it, you know, sometimes you can feel like, oh, I'm just like in their way or you know, oh, I don't belong here. Like it's easier to feel that way. And also because from a different perspective, it's a sport of privilege. Not only do you need snow, which environmentally, like that's that's a privilege in itself. You know, like only certain parts or regions of the world get snow and enough snow to cross-country ski. But it's also a privilege because this sport requires a lot of equipment. And the equipment is very expensive. So even from when I first bought my gear, like I remember having so much guilt because like I spent probably, and this was like basic gear, not even the fanciest, like not even racing equipment. The basic gear, I spent probably like $2,000. And me being like Mexican, having grown up in Mexico, having family in Mexico, like, $2,000 can probably feed a family of four for, I think, at least a month, at least. So having to spend this money on something for the longest time, like, I felt so guilty. And then it also makes you realize, like, for many reasons, this is a sport of privilege, you know? Overall, like, it's it's been tough to try to manage this imposter syndrome because it's faced not only with imposter syndrome trying to infiltrate this community, but also with guilt as you feel like you're leaving your comfort zone or like you're or like betraying kind of your like I don't even know how to describe it but you know like knowing that, that you could do so much other things like so many other things with this money that's going for the sport it just doesn't feel great and like how do I balance that is the idea of like the overall goal like if I participate in the winter olympics like if i do become the first mexican woman to do this having that exposure of of like mexican athletes on an international level and being able to say like yes i'm mexican and i made it 
and like yes we can do this too and yes we belong I think is what will make it worth it in the end and there's there has been a lot of like barriers even within the ski community so for instance the reason why it's almost impossible to qualify for the Olympics now as an exotic ski nation is because the quota spots were cut by like 30 to 40 percent so the Olympics have the Olympic Games have been criticized for being overly expensive you know over the years and instead of cutting costs from like opening ceremonies or all the lavish gifts or these like huge Olympic villages with like all these you know amenities instead of cutting down on that they decided to cut the number of athletes that can participate and so by doing that now the general ski community was faced with that with having you know if Mex if a Mexican athlete or if an athlete from Tanzania participates, it means one less U.S. athlete gets to participate, or one less Norwegian woman gets to participate. And so, to be able to somewhat control that, that's why this new rule, which only happened for this cycle in Beijing, to have to go to the World Skiing Championships, like of these other athlete, elite athletes, or are now having to to have less spots because these more amateur skiers are participating and which goes to kind of a lot of it goes down to well what's the definition of the olympic games is it about inclusion like is it about trying to have like you know stronger together which is now part of the motto or is it like just the world's best you know because within skiing the world cup actually that's even harder to qualify and that's like if you are an elite skier you go there the chances of me participating in a world cup are almost like impossible the, the chances of me going to the olympics are more manageable even with this now stricter rule hmm. the the way that i helped kind of balance and, and overcome this imposter syndrome and this somewhat guilt that i have by trying to be in the sport where sometimes i don't, don't feel as welcome is trying to break those like barriers and break those boundaries and say like you know what yes we do belong here yes like we can be good skiers and we deserve to be here too and one of the things that i want to use with these opportunities like we're talking about and and with this voice that i'm getting from being not only you know in a position of privilege and power as a doctor but also now being recognized as a skier that can kind of hold her own a little bit I really want to use my voice in these positions to be able to speak in favor of inclusion and diversity in medicine and in winter sports. And so that's kind of how I justify it and how I keep motivated to keep going. So in general, I feel like by winning podiums or participating in big international races or by uh, hopefully eventually participating in the winter games, and also with like my voice and um, kind of with the power and privilege that comes with being a doctor as well. Like I really hope to be able to speak um, in favor uh, and to be able to promote diversity and inclusion in winter sports uh, and in medicine as well. And so I think that's kind of what helps me uh, stay focused and stay motivated and be able to, to balance some of that um, guilt and some of that uh, or I guess manage the feelings of imposter syndrome. That's awesome. I love that because I, I think you're absolutely right on those points. And even on your website, you make that edict. And I think your participation and your tenacity to compete at these levels 
using that platform as a as a doctor puts the stereotypes I think that people have of Latinos on its head. Hearing you explain all this, like even the word uh, exotic nations seems problematic to call you know other nations who probably don't have a history of winter sports exotic. Yeah, and actually we're called developing ski nations too. <laughs> That's like both of those are exotic is what they use colloquially, but developing ski nations is what we on paper are called. What stories do you think have yet to be told? Well, I think there's two stories, two versions of stories that have yet to be told. I think one is the story of like the Olympic journey and adversity that someone who does not have the privilege of, of snow or of winter sports at baseline, I think that's a story that, that definitely needs to be told more, not just the Jamaican bobsled team, but it's a huge accomplishment for, you know, all of the athletes that participate in the Olympics, especially for instance, in, in this niche in like the winter Olympics who have no access to snow, like the amount of sacrifice that has to go because these, these athletes they leave their home countries, leave their families, their spouses to go find snow. And that costs money. It's not like I just live here and can just go outside and go ski. It, you know, it, it's, it's so many more resources and, sacrifices and so much more adversity that needs to happen and even finding a coach sometimes can be hard if you're newer because no one really wants to work with amateurs more people want to work with with like at, at, for that level of competitiveness to the olympics you know more people want to work with like stronger candidates for instance and so being able to tell the story of athletes who are making it who it's been a crazy, you know, like impossible journey. I think that's, that's definitely a story or stories that need to be told. And there's a lot of those stories. Switching gears into medicine. I feel like, oh, there's a lot of things where being an underrepresented minority in medicine is also, you know, more of these stories need to be told, you know, a lot of times to be able to get the scores or to be able to get the athlete, the best application and think, I mean, that requires sometimes tutoring, that requires money, that requires you know, SAT classes or MCAT courses or uh, personal coaches for college applications. All these things are things I did not existed <laughs> until I made it. Those aspects of being minorities in medicine and also not just the ethnic, cultural, racial minorities, but also like women in medicine, which now we're not a minority anymore. I think 60 or 65% of doctors these days are people in medical school identify as women so that's amazing but it's still a culture where it's still really hard to to be recognized as a female physician in the hospital every day patients think I'm a nurse and they'll don't want to leave the hospital because they say I never saw a doctor no sir you did see a doctor I'm your doctor and I've been here multiple times and and so those stories also need to be shared as well I think both of all kinds of minorities in medicine as well, but also women in medicine too. My next question to you is, when did you realize that everything that you're doing, that it was important to you? And why do you feel that it has to be you to do it? So I think when I realized that it was important to do all the things that I am doing now is recognizing, you know, despite a lot of adversity and despite, you know, the odds, and I'm here and a lot of people don't get to be here. And here is, 
in medicine and here's in skiing and knowing that there's people that are smarter than me that don't get a chance to do what I do. Knowing that there's athletes that are way more talented than myself. And despite that, like I'm the one that's here or I'm the one that like stars aligned. Like I ended up in the snow knowing that this is where I ended up and this is what my path has become has made me realize like this, you know, this is why I need to keep going and, and being able to, to, again, like use my voice and use this privilege that has been like bestowed upon me almost is, is why I need to continue, especially knowing that the farther I go, the more I hope and I believe that people will listen and heads will turn and stereotypes will be broken. And that's, I think, the, the biggest reason why I just keep going and, the, you know, kind of recognizing that I was blessed and I, to some degree, got lucky with all, you know, with the way things turned out. And that's why I have to push myself further than, than I even think is possible because I'm in this position where I know a lot of others could and could be as well. And, um, you know, they could deserve it as well, too. Mexicans or Mexican-Americans or Latinos, women, anybody, when they hear what you're doing, when you tell them, if you tell them, do do you feel the support? You got the love? You got the hint behind you? I do. I do, to be honest. And it just makes me so, so grateful and it warms my heart because it, it is just truly unbelievable and touching to to see that support and to see all the love is unbelievable. Like, for instance, one of the things that I want to do is is give back to my community here locally. And I want to, I, one of the things, the ideas I have is to, uh, to give back to one of the local schools here and uh, especially like in PE programs and, uh, and such. And so. So next question for you, what's your favorite social platform and why is it your favorite? Oof, my favorite social platform. I think recently it's TikTok because if it feels way more, at least I don't know if it's just my content, the one I make and the one that reaches me, uh, but it feels way more lighthearted. There, it feels compared to Instagram, there seems to be like way less judgment. Like you can do whatever, like you do you, man. Like whatever you want to do, you do, you make, you express. And there's people that like you vibe with or that vibe with you and it can become like just an overwhelming like viral, I suppose, like platform compared to other social media it's very collaborative it's very creative it's less judgmental I feel like you can you can just do you in general I'm a very creative person (laughs) but um yeah I have lots of creative interests and I think TikTok is great for that do you feel like when you're on TikTok your followers they really understand what you're about and what you stand for I think so I I like making videos and like videos with pictures and like with songs but also you know that tell my story and I've found that the ones where I've been able to do that and kind of communicate who I am as a person even if the videos or pictures are not the best quality and like those are the ones that have gotten me the most attention on the platform and I've gotten so much support there was actually one video that went viral and it was everyone who was like most of the people I think were like Hispanic and they we're all commenting positive things. I think of like, I don't know how many, maybe a thousand comments or something. Only one was negative or not as positive. <laughs> That's awesome. Finally, since 
we're first and foremost an advertising agency. We always want to know, are there any organizations and brands that you would love to partner with to uh, support the causes that you care about? Yeah, in general, I really like value like the World Health Organization and um, like floating doctors or like Doctors Without Borders. That's something that I plan to do soon here. I have limited vacation time, so my time goes to skiing. But once I am able to get a little more time, I definitely want to like partner and like volunteer with them. But like brands and things, uh, I would love to get you know more formal partnership with with like Salomon or with like GoPro or like with a, someone with a drone. A drone company would be cool because I do want to be able to share my story with like all the cool views like from me roller skiing in Miami and then like the rest of my team skiing like where they ski which is all over the world and then like switching to snow I think that would be awesome to help like grow our team and and also not just our like Mexican team but just a lot of what I sometimes consider my team is is you know all my friends from other countries that are in a similar boat uh like I mentioned Trinidad and stuff oh gosh I don't know I do need I'll have to think about it more and <laughs> maybe we can add that part later. But I I appreciate the exposure though and the opportunity. It's just really exciting to hear and refreshing to hear like a, a really feel-good story about someone who's just finding a dream and chasing after it. But the implications of achieving it are are so much bigger. And it's it's just really amazing. You know, we're so happy to have have found you and that your story, like, you know, your athleticism is just catching fire, you know? So I think all of it is just real inspiring. It's all very cool. Finally, who are you following right now? I follow uh, Jessie Diggins a lot. She's the U.S. Uh, gold medalist for cross-country skiing. She's also, she's actually from Minnesota and so I kind of feel that tied to her since that's kind of where my journey began. And in sports, I think that she's my biggest inspiration because of that. And she's also like a champion for like mental health. Like she, she herself struggled with mental health and with an eating disorder and she speaks against that. So I think she's awesome. And finally, where can we follow you on social media? So social media, so I have TikTok and Instagram, both are doctor like spell it out so the word doctor underscore regina or regina and then i also have a website that's just my first and last name so regina martinez.org um r-e-g-i-n-a-m-a-r-t-i-n-e-z.org and i have a facebook page with also my name and <laughs> it says cross-country ski yeah i think that's that's pretty much all of it Thank you, Regina, for being here and taking the time to share a little bit of your world with us. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to The Follow, a multicultural podcast from creative agency Sanders Wingo. For show notes, past episodes, or to get notified when a new episode comes out, visit thefollowpodcast.com. And if you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. It boosts the show's visibility so other people can find and enjoy it as well. Until next time, take care.